been preaching on the difference. The difference that Christ has made or wants to make in our life and the difference that that difference ought to make in the world around us. And I just, I, 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 I got into this because we got broken down after, after they came public, well, these announcements, this news and everything. And I'm thinking, well, why would they not? Where's the difference in the world? We're, we're, how are we any different that we're making a significant change in the world? When we blend in and, and don't stand out. Right now, my, my wife is out of town. And you guys know she's in the Dominican Republic with our mission team. And you continue to pray for them. But they're doing really well. Um, heard only great results and God has been blessing and they're, they're just having a great time. My wife told me, because I've been on many mission trips, and she said, every time you get back and you say, I, I just can't put it into words, what it was like, she said, I finally know what that means. T- to be able to pour your heart into other people and to be in a place that they don't have everything. And uh, I get to, while she's out of town, I get to play pastor and dad and mom right now. So it's, and trust me, I, I have no substitute. We, we were uh, taking pictures. We had a thing to get pictures done. And uh, Morgan, I, I, I had her in the bathroom and I said, all right, we're going to do pigtails. I said, I think this would be really cool for the pictures and all this up there. And I mean, like, like 10 minutes into it, she grabs a brush and she said, dad, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I said, I know. And I said, I said, forget it. Just hair, wear your hair down. That's good enough. But I, 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 miss, I miss my wife. I, I, I miss her like crazy. You don't realize exactly how blessed you are until you have that absence. And uh, while I'm taking care of the kids, there's, there's a common phrase that they know very well. And I, I, I've learned this. There's a phrase that they know all too well. That phrase is, Dad, I am starving to death. Dad, I am so hungry. And I looked at him and I said, son, you might be a lot of things, but the one thing you are not, you are not starving to death. You are not that hungry. And uh, it, it's amazing how when you, get, when you get hungry, you think, all right, right now I've got to eat. I've got to eat. Have you guys ever been in the house? Jen gave me a, a budget and she said, go buy groceries. She's been gone. This is day number four. I've yet to go buy groceries, but I'm still working on it. When you have Taco Bell, why do you have to go buy groceries? I mean, just like, what do you guys feel like? Taco Bell, dollar menu, here we go, all right. And, um, but you guys know how it is. When, when all those places are closed and you're, tr- you're trying to get food, have you guys ever been hungry, walk into the fridge and that, and you go to get food, but every, uh, you open, there's nothing in the cabinet, there's nothing in the fridge, nothing edible or ex- at least accessible at the time. And then you go back and forth to the pantry, the fridge, the pantry, the fridge, and you open the door once again. And, and my wife has said to me before when I've done that, she says, food's not magically going to appear because you keep opening the door. You know, just, but we, we do that. We just have it in our minds. I, I, I want to eat. We end up digging through the cabinet and we end up pulling out a, a box of Cheez-Its and that ends up being dinner. Have you guys ever done that when you're saying, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to eat any junk food. I'm not going to spoil my diet. And then you go in there and say, you know what, if I just had five Cheez-Its, that would just kind of curve the craving and I'll be okay. And then you're licking the bottom of the box, you know, ripping open the plastic, and I mean, you just, you can't stop. We don't know what it means to be starving by, by any stretch. I've um, been to foreign countries, and so have many of you, and you've been in those spots where you've seen people that are truly hungry. I got into this passage, and I'll be honest, I'm just going to be flat out honest. I am really 
struggling with my message this morning more than I probably have in a long, long time. And the reason being is once I got into it, I, I had this, and I'm just doing an expository. We're just going verse by verse by verse. We're going through it because I just thought, if we're going to change, if we're going to be better, let's stop pretending and asking ourselves what we need to do to be better or different and just get back to Jesus and just say, you tell us how to be different. Because a lot of times we, we live this Christian life so we've already made up the rules. Have you guys ever noticed? We, we've already know what. I'm a good Christian because I, I don't do this and I don't do that. I've never done this and I've never done that. And if you ask the average person, hey, how's your walk with God or how's your life? They're going to list off a list of like five different sins that they don't do. And for some reason that makes us okay. But can I tell you, even the church doing those five things has not made a big enough impact for the world to be able to look on us as Christians and know that there's a significant difference in our lives. And I'm here going to show you because this is what I did. I got through and I thought, I got to these passages of Scripture and I started going through and I thought, this isn't fun. This isn't, this isn't easy to preach. It's not. It's not at all. And actually, it might be one of those things to where I, I start reading and you start saying, oh, we're, we're, we're getting into this. The idea of us being so apathetic with Scripture that we're not willing to apply what Jesus said has caused a great state of problems in our nation because the light has gone out. Not the lights of the church, but the lights from the church have gone out. I'm going to show you what I was talking about, about being hungry. Matthew 5, verse 1, and we'll just start reading through here. I'm just going to go verse by verse. I just want to be very transparent. I, I want to be very clear as we, we teach through and preach through this. The Bible said, Matthew 5, 1, Jesus saying the multitudes, he went up into the mountain and he was set. The disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and he taught them the most powerful passage ever. He began to sit down and just say, here's how you guys are going to change the world. This is how you're going to live different. This is how you're going to be changed. This is how you're going to stand out. This is how you're going to resemble me. And he began with what we studied already. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He talked about a heritage, but he was talking about blessed are those that are humbled and emptied of self. Not placing themselves above others. Not having the idea because we go to church that we are better than anyone else. Blessed are they that mourn, meaning those that are broken over their sin. In the same passage, he said, hey, why don't you pull the beam out of your eye before you start calling out the sins of everybody else? And I thought that's, that's exactly what we've done. We, we've turned to the world and say, oh my goodness, look, 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 look. And God says, why don't you stop and look in the mirror first and straighten up? Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. The meek is a happy medium between two extremes. It's not weakness, but it's not overwhelming pride. It's not arrogance of cutting down everybody, but it's not having, uh, uh, being spineless as the world turns to sin. It's, it's not a matter of turning the other cheek and ignoring every sinful thing, but it's not a matter of screaming in their faces. But then we get to the next verse, in verse 6, and it says, Blessed are they that do, which do hunger, and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Lord, as we study this, I pray, Lord, that you'll give understanding. And Lord, that you'll give application. 
Lord, help us to walk out of here. Lord, understanding that there is a significant change that transpires in the heart of a Christian. We desire to know you, to love you, to have you, and Lord, to please you. Lord, I know that some of the things that I will say this morning are very contrary to the world. But Lord, then when I kept reading and you said to be light, light was contrary to darkness. Lord, help us just to get this, to live it, to apply it. We pray in your name. Amen. This word filled right here means to satisfy. I'm going to just stop and look at this. Blessed are they which hunger and they that thirst after righteousness because they're the ones that are going to be satisfied. They're the ones that are going to feel full and accomplished. They're the ones that will be even what the word at the beginning blessed means happy. This is explaining the hurting condition. And I started to begin to say our, our emptied condition, but it, it does nowhere in scripture do we hear and talk about it being a, a emptied condition. It's talking about craving and not being satisfied. It's not a matter of people not being full. We fill our lives with a lot of things. The problem is they do not satisfy and they do not nourish us and they do not change us. It's the same thing as that example of eating, eating Cheez-Its. You can sit there and eat junk food all day long and you're going to walk away and you won't feel any different than you did before. The reason why I say this is because we, we look at the world and they're running to all this junk food. They're running to all this trash. And they're eating it and they're sitting there wondering, why don't I feel happy or complete or satisfied or significant or any of the things that I meant to be? I'm going to throw out an example, but I'm not throwing this out example out to judge. So if you have the comments to say to yourself, I, I, I pray that you'll hold them to yourself first. I am brokenhearted over Bruce Jenner. I have seen every slam on that man under the sun. Do I agree with him? No, not at all. It disgusts me inside and out. But you know what I thought of the other day? One day that man's going to wake up. Look in the mirror and think, what did I do? I don't feel anything. I, I don't know what I am. I don't know who I am. Because the reason that anybody would do something so extreme is the fact that they are dissatisfied. They are empty. They are hungry. They are searching. And that will never, ever fix his problem. And he's not seen it yet. And then you say, why do you feel sorry for him? Because of the fact that we look at him and the very thing that he needs that he is missing is Jesus Christ, not a sex change. And the world is at that place where they know they need something, but my fear is they're not getting it from us. We read this. And I see that that hunger... It's, it, it's finished because it doesn't say them that hunger after just life. It says after righteousness. This generation is seeing extreme examples of this. I looked it up even this morning because I was so burdened for this. And I looked it up and I said, I, I hear all this and I wonder if it's true. And it was absolutely true. Do you know what's happening to our generation right now? Our generation since in the last 10 years, for 12 years straight, the suicide rate went down. For the last 10 years, the suicide rate has increased. Within that rate, they said one of the staggering statistics within that 
is the amount of younger and younger people taking their lives. Starting in the junior high age. Because they don't know what's missing. Nobody takes their life for no reason. They feel like they can't be happy. They can't be satisfied and something is wrong. And let me say, it's scary when this same situation rolls right into the church as much as it is in the world where Christians walking to a church week after week and they walk away and they are not satisfied, they are not fulfilled, they are not truly happy and they still wonder why. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me just break this down into two points. Number one, the healthy craving. The wording here is to hunger and thirst. This is talking about the necessities of life. The signs that you are alive. The necessities that you need to have strength. They both imply desire or a craving. When you thirst, you seek out water. When your body needs that and you're working outside, you turn around and say, I am dying of thirst. Because something inward tells you that I need this more than I need anything else right now. No matter what, I need water. And Christ has given this example. If my people would just get to the point where they realize that nothing over here will ever satisfy, and they begin to crave, desire, reach out, seek out righteousness above all things. Because it is a necessity. It's more than just having the desire. But we have to create the desire for this craving. The Bible says, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. The word righteousness is talking about that which is right or the things of God or the things that draw us to him. Righteousness is the quality of being right. So the Bible says happy is the Christian that desires and craves that which is right and good. And I say to us, and I look at that and I think, how, how, how did we shift? And I know that the Bible says in the latter days, things will wax worse and worse and things are going to change and all, all that but at the same time, let me just say, and I, I love you guys, and I know you love me, and we're, we're believers, we're sitting in the house of God, we're sitting here studying the word of God this morning. I am not trying to offend, but let me tell you, we've got to get back to doing right. Standing out that the righteousness of our life is the distinction. When he stands there and he says this, he says, what do you desire in your life? Because we have this idea that the Christian life is a bunch of rules. We have this idea, oh, you're, 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 um, you're, you're Christians, you can't, you can't cuss. Oh, I forgot, I can't say that. Oh, oh, we got so-and-so with this. Oh, you can't do this. And it becomes this Christian life of what we can't do. I've had Christians that have come up to me and say, hey, I want to do this. And I mean, I've heard the craziest things in the world. And, you know, just bizarre things asking, is this okay or is this wrong to do? I've heard men and wives come up to me and tell me that my husband woke up this morning saying, Honey, do you think we really have to go to church this morning? Do we have to do this and we have to do that? And I'm thinking, what what have we done? When church has become and the things of God and and the things that God says will benefit us and build us and grow us have become, do I have to do it? And the Bible says, Blessed are they which crave the things of God. That desire them and want them. Not honey, get out of bed. 
Not kids, we have to go, it's been two weeks. But a desire of our hearts. It's never meant to be a list of rules. I, I have to do this, I have to dress this way, I have to listen to this kind of music. Have you missed it? Have we missed it? My wife is gone. And um, I, I miss her. I, we've been apart a lot of times before. But what I realized is when I've been on mission trips, and I told her, I said, we've been apart like this before. I've been distracted, and she's the one that's, you know, in her normal routine. And this time, she's the one that's distracted, and I'm the one in my normal routine. Loving my wife is something that I take great pleasure in. Not, it's not a have-to thing. Nobody has to make me to do it. I'm actually, let me put it this way, I'm blessed or happy to be married to my wife and to be in that relationship with her. She is my best friend and I can't wait. I desire to see her again. I want my actions to help our relationship. I want what I do to edify the way that I feel towards her. I, I want it to come out in my actions when I'm with her. I don't want to do anything that sits there and upsets her, hurts her, or divides us in any way possible. You can come up to me and say, hey, are you allowed to check out other girls? Honey, is it okay? What's the line? If I was just to like two girls a day, you know, just flirt with two girls a day, would that be crossing? Would that be going too far? It's like, well, and you say, that, that's, that's crazy. That, that's absurd. No, nobody would do that. No, we do that. We sit there and say that Jesus has said that these are all the things that I have died to conquer, to break down the wall. Do you know why? You say, amen, so we can go to heaven. You know that wasn't the reason why. It was to restore our relationship with Christ in heaven, in the location, in the streets of gold and all that is the bonus on top of that. But every bit of that was so that we could have a relationship with our God. It's not about what I can't do. I am satisfied, I am fulfilled, and I am happy with the wife that God has blessed me with. And we have this idea with this relationship with God that it's an idea of how much can I get away with rather than saying, what can I do to please you? What edifies me in your presence? What helps me to be drawn to you? God, what makes me more like you? The question is constantly asked, what's wrong with it? And see, the thing is, if we go back and we mourn over our sins and we're broken over these things and we do those first three, there's a change in your life and you all of a sudden you're not the person that used to. And the Bible says when you begin to put into your life the things of God, there becomes a craving or desire to have more of it. It's not a matter of what's wrong with it. Christians have justified and go out clubbing on the weekends and hanging out places they shouldn't and hear people talking about, hey, did you go to see Magic Mike and all this other stuff? And I say, you know, no Christian has any right to put that trash before their eyes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no Christian. <laughs> I just got chills. <laughs> Has any right to go to watch movies about strippers? Okay. And all the people said, amen. All right, I'll pretend I heard this overwhelming. Blew me off the stage. God's people under conviction. Amen, brother, pastor. 
This altar better be filled, buddy. This better be filled. Lay your ticket stubs on the altar. Repent, ye sinners. James 4, 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that your friendship with the world is enmity with God. So the idea that you can sit there and run and flirt with the world and sit there and crave and desire and have the things that are contrary to me and you think that it's okay. He said, no, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And it's not talking about people of the world, but the things and the sinful pleasures of the world. To accomplish this, there must be an action taken. Have you guys ever had a craving for something and you can't get it out of your mind? It's consumed you? Alright, you're Baptist. I know you do. Don't pretend like you're sitting in a Baptist church right now. My wife and I were going through uh, the drive-thru at Dairy Queen. And they had this new blizzard and it was called Georgia Mud Fudge. Have you guys ever had it? It, it is just nothing but calories, top and bottom. I mean, there's probably a thousand fat grams in it it's, it's every spoonful is heaven and and we had one of them one time and and i i, I the next day she was like you realize that those things are like four dollars a piece oh that's ridiculous we're not getting it i mean that that's when it's in a wild type thing we we had that thing the next day dairy queen there we were and i'm like we don't have the money and she's like if we don't have lunch today we could just get georgia mud fudge and i mean we got hooked on the, the, the only thing we go there for. So one night we're in the house and, and it's getting late or whatever. And I, I'm sitting there and I said, do you know what sounds really good? And she said, what sounds really good? I said, Georgia Mud Fudge. And she goes, that sounds awesome. And uh, so it's like, it's like 10 till uh, 10 and they closed at 10 o'clock. And I said, I can make it. I got in the car. I'm going through there. I'm going through the drive through I almost get to the thing and the lights turn off. I jumped out, I beat the glass, I knocked on the door, I kicked, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> well, maybe, so, no. And I remember calling her, like, like, I mean, like I'm calling to tell her that somebody died or something, you know, and just like, I said, babe, are you sitting down? I, I got to tell you something. <laughs> they were closed, I laid it down, I'm a failure. And uh, I remember, and she said, maybe there's something like that. And I went to the, the gas station around the corner, it was a speedway. And I'm going through their freezer section asking them, do you have anything like Georgia Mud Fudge? And they didn't, but I still bought a bunch of calorie ice cream frozen stuff and brought it back. It's amazing what happens when you get the taste in your mouth and your brain triggers and says, you need that, you want that. And the Bible says in Psalms 34 verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth him. And you know what it's saying? Oh, experience the Lord and see that he is good. The satisfaction that God brings does not come from the fact that you sit in a church building any more than you walking in Dairy Queen and experiencing a blizzard. So what do you have to do? You actually have to get it and apply it to your life. I cannot tell you, I cannot convey, I cannot just share with you. You have to experience for yourself. Right now, I'll be honest, I'm extremely jealous of our ladies that are on the trip because I know what God is doing in their life. Just reading the messages as my wife is sending them. And you can see that she just stops and she writes, dot, dot, dot. This is amazing. Dot, dot, dot. I can't explain. Dot, dot, dot. I'm having the time of my life. And the thing is, when you get a hold of the things of God, you will have the filet mignon of the world. And you'll get sick of the hot dogs of the junk that the world has to offer us. 
The reason that I am faithful to my wife and I love my wife is because I have found everything that I could possibly want in what God provided for me. And there is no cheap substitute that could ever replace what I have. So would you, would you look and check out other women? I, I, I think I got filet mignon at home, dude. God is trying to say, if you would just realize to taste and see, to hunger and thirst, to crave and desire, to get it in your mouth and to realize that what you have is better than everything else. And let me tell you, what God gives and what God brings into our life, it changes us. The Bible says that what's going to happen is there's, there's this effect that happens in our life. He says that you're going to be filled. This, this word means to, be, to feed or to fill or to satisfy You're satisfied with the things of God. Can I say when you wake up and you're satisfied with the things of God, you don't have to wake up the next day with the things of God wondering if you have an STD or if you're pregnant. You don't. Because the feeling that it has satisfies you to the point where it brings peace, happiness, and joy, not guilt and regret. But our world is not getting this. And let me say, even within the walls of the church, they're missing out on this principle that when you taste and see that the Lord is what? He is good. He is satisfying. He is fulfilling. He is joy. He is all of those things. Let me ask you before we get to our last point, what do you crave in life? Was this one of those days that I can't wait to go worship God and I can't wait to open my Bible and I can't wait to be with other believers? Or is it, honey, do we have to go today? Do you crave the things of God? And if you haven't, you haven't tasted the goodness of God. Because I promise you, there's nothing in the world that satisfies like the things of God. We go from the healthy craving to the happy Christian. And this happy Christian, as the word blessed through all of this passage means happy, 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 all the way through, the word is happy. I was sitting in the doctor's office, and uh, on the walls, you know how they have all those charts that are there to make you feel bad? (laughs) If you weigh this much overweight, you're this, this, and this, and you're you're opening the door for this, this, and this, and one of the charts was unusual. I, I didn't see it before in a doctor's office, but it was a chart about how much water you drink. And the chart went in and said, if you don't get this much water per day or in your diet, and started listing all of the things, your organs, your body, your, your metabolism, everything that it affects from not having water in your body like it is. It, it's amazing. When you fill your life, when you hunger and you thirst, and you're sitting there, and I just... Well, I was talking, and we, we were talking right before church, and I looked down at the Bible, and uh, it was all highlighted. And I said, man, I love that. I love seeing that. I love coming in here, and people are doing that. And it shows that you're in there, and you're hungry, and you're thirsting, and you're filling your life up. You cannot hunger and thirst and fill your life up with the things of God and not be changed. You can't. There, it is impossible, and when you change, there's an aura, there's a joy. The, talks, the Bible talks about the joy of the Lord is my strength. They shall be filled. I want to jump down and, and we'll be done. Let me show you. Now this, you say, where did you get this outline? I pulled it right from scripture. A happy Christian is merciful. Verse 7. Blessed is, are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is withholding punishment that is deserved. When I, when I started off this morning, I said, you know, I, I got convicted because the more I started thinking about this, I started thinking about 
the fact that we have this list of, I, I, do, I don't do this, 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 and this, so therefore I must be a great Christian to the world. Let, let's put it like this. God says, quit going through the things that you don't do, and let's start talking about the things that you are. And God comes back and he says, hey, let, let me tell you the distinction that ought to be in your life. Are you merciful? Do you live out your life in such a way that you withhold punishment from people that is deserved in their life? And I know it's going to get really quiet right now because this is the part that I said, Lord, I don't want to preach this. But the idea is that God loved us so much that yet, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The Bible over and over again associates his love and what he did for us with the mercy of God. It was never anything that you deserved and grace is you getting what you don't deserve, but mercy is withholding punishment that you do deserve. To walk up to people that have made a mess of their life and fallen on their face and messed up big time. And we have the idea, and you know, you might not verbally say this, but I told you so. You made the bed, you sleep in it. For that family member or that relative or whatever that got pregnant out of wedlock and you sit there and say to your husband and your spouse or whatever, oh, like we didn't see that coming. And God said, you know what, why don't you, why don't you step out and be a little different? And show mercy to those that don't deserve it. Because Jesus said, that's what I did for you. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. But you transform. By the renewing of your mind. You know what God was saying? I'm going to change the way that you think. Change the way you operate. See, mercy is of God. And when God is in us, mercy ought to come back and come out of our life. And the question is, do we blast people when we disagree with them? Do we slam people for getting in our way? Do we throw up their faults before them? Because the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I, you don't have to tell me what you're full of. Because this is going to come out when you show yourself. The Bible comes on and goes from that and it says, Happy Christians are those that are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure refers to a purity that results from washing. Being pure is a working in the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of allowing the Holy Spirit to fill your life when you crave Him. And you come to church and you read your Bible and you're listening to the things of God. And you sit there and you're driving down the road and you're listening to things that glorify God and exalt God. Pastor Joe and I were talking this morning. Do you care if I share that? We were sitting there and I said, uh, he was saying, have you ever been driving before and you're listening to a song or a message or something and the Holy Spirit comes and sits inside the car and he said, what's your result? What happens to you? And I mean, everybody's different, either shouting or crying or whatever. And it's the thing is, when God gets a hold of you, there's something that takes over you. It's, it's, and it's not even something that you can explain anything, but it's, it's, it's the word of God or the, the, the words of God overflowing and washing and turning you around. The Bible's talking about this inward change. It's a pure of heart. And let me tell you guys, when God gets into our life and we're talking about being merciful and God turns this and says, let me tell you another aspect of your life is the fact that you're going to be pure in heart. You look and act purely from the inside out because you've been cleansed. Our world is so obsessed with nudity and pornography, it's disgusting. And all around us, it's hard to have the right attitude towards the world and sitting there and judging them when we don't have pure hearts within the people that are supposed to be being the light and the darkness. 
And let me tell you, when our hearts are not right and our vision is not right, our attitudes will not right and our witness will never be right. Pure in heart. Bible is saying when God gets a hold of me and God begins to fill you up, he cleans up your mind, he cleans up your language, he cleans up your thoughts, and he begins to change your actions and your attitude from the inside out. I say, wow, this, this, this is not, why, why can't you preach against drugs, Pastor Tony? Being merciful in this. Uh, the, the, let me hit the last one. Happy Christians are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. A peacemaker is one who seeks to restore that which is broken. Can I say it one more time? A peacemaker is someone that seeks to restore that which is broken. Turn on the TV tonight and watch the news for 30 minutes. And let me tell you, there is a great need for peacemakers in the world. As our kids get ready to go back to school and they walk the halls, let me tell you, we need to be training them to be peacemakers in a very broken world. We sit there and we see the things that we disagree with and we see the things that scroll on Facebook and I see this post about this guy and Bruce Jenner and uh, Obama and the White House and the, the rainbow this and the rainbow that. We're just... just and I'm thinking, let me ask you, with what you're saying or how you're doing it or the conversations coming out of your mouth, is it helping to restore or is it helping the problem? You said, man, you've you, you gotten all twisted on this. You know what I'm doing? I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, God, what, what does that mean? Merciful. Lord, Lord, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those. And I'm looking at and saying, is, is that, could that be identified with who we are? Is that, is that the sign or the symbol or the resemblance of God's saying should be in our life? Do people seek out us at work because they know that you're different because you stand out being distinctly different in the way that we act and the way that we treat people? Peacemakers are the ones that follow up with Scripture and have you prayed about it or it's things that they need in their life. But I'll tell you, you'll never have it to give unless you're filled first. And I've done messages on things like this before. But a peacemaker or one that makes peace is one that seeks to bring peace. One who takes truth and applies it to lies. One that resolves by following biblical principle. One that goes within the church and goes to other Christians and believers to restore the relationship when they think or might be broken. They go to fix it anyways. Let me read this last part. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Can you imagine how this would read if it said, and those shall be named the children of God? If I'm going to call out something and call you something and, 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 and joking or whatever and just say, hey, you're, you're, you're Pastor Joe, you're a preacher or you're, you're an altar worker or you're a choir member or you're whatever, I'm identifying you by what I see, the actions of your life. So let me just ask this as we close this. How many people identify you as a child of God begotten by the distinction that you show in your life? How much do we stand out as we seek to be so different? You look at these things and you're saying, wow, this, this isn't the type of stuff. I, I'd rather, you know, we, I, I started, and I, I told you guys last week, I started preaching this whole series around the concept of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was my, I mean, for, for two weeks I had that planned out. And I thought, 
take a stand. Take a stand. Hey, we need to take a stand in the midst of a world that's bowing down to the image. Take a stand. But let me ask you physically today in 2015, what does you taking a stand look like? What does it look like? Walking in here? What would Jesus do? Bracelet? FBC t-shirts? What's it look like? And that's when God pulled me back and said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you go up to my teaching? Why don't you sit down and start showing them what that looks like? Why don't you start laying out what the distinction of a Christian is and show what the difference ought to be in our lives?